I would like to speak to the children. So, Rusty, I want you to make room for Cooper to come up a little bit closer. And Micah, I want you to gather your brothers and get a bit closer to the screen. And Ray Ray, come in, gather together. I want to be able to speak to you right now. I want to share a story with you. So I'm going to sit down to do that. And I want to share a story with you when I was a little boy. Now, when I was a little boy, you need to understand, I was an angry little boy. Uh, regularly, I would come home, and I would just eventually get into trouble. I remember one particular day, I came home, and my mom asked me to do something like chores, and I got so angry with her, she, and I yelled at her, and that you did not do in my home. And my mom sent me to my room. Now, in sending me to my room, I knew that when my dad got home, he would take care of me. And I knew what that meant. So I begged and I pleaded. I said, Mom, Mom, please don't send me to my room. Please. I'm so sorry. What can I do? And nothing would deter her. I was sent to my room. And for two hours, I was just wondering, what on earth am I, am I going to do when my dad gets home? And I can remember, and I do not recommend you ever doing this. My bedroom was downstairs in a car garage that had been turned into a bedroom. And I was on the top bunk. And that top bunk, you could touch it with your hand. In that top bunk, I reeled back. And in my anger, I kicked the ceiling. And I left a footprint. It wasn't a dirty footprint. It was a footprint in the ceiling. And I cracked it. And I can look at that. And I just thought, now my dad's going to double kill me. But I can remember at that point going in. To my mom and she was wondering what on earth are you doing Michael out of your bedroom and I said mom I am so sorry for what I did and I should never have yelled at you and I just went right back into my bedroom and I'll be honest with you I was a praying boy that day my dad came home and as my mom and he were interacting she said nothing to my dad Wow, was I relieved. I eventually, as my dad went on to upstairs to get dressed and showered and so on, I remember talking with my mom. And I said, Mom, you didn't tell Dad. And she looked at me, and he said, No, I didn't, son. And I want you to know that I'm so glad that you changed your heart. So you're forgiven, and we'll just forget about it. First thing I want you to know, boys and girls, is that number one, Always obey your mom and dad. Always. And if you have a temper tantrum, you make sure that you apologize with the right attitude. God had to change my heart. And when my mom saw that my heart was changed, she had some mercy. I'm not saying that when you do that, you're going to get out of trouble. But that day I did. Secondly, you know what? When God looks at us, when he looks at your heart, what he really wants to say, see, is he wants to see that heart of yours changed, to love him, to follow him. And so I'm just going to encourage you, let God change your heart today. You know, about 15 years later, when my dad had, we all of us boys had gotten married and left the, the house, and it was just my mom and my dad. My dad had retired, and retirement means you get to stop doing your work for pay. And so as he did that, got the house fixed up. He was going to sell it. I visited him one day, and he brought me into that old bedroom that had no more bunks in it. And he said, you know, Michael, I'm getting the 
the house all fixed up here, but I noticed something in the ceiling. And he brought me over, and I just started to shake a little bit. Uh-oh. He found out, and he pointed to that, and he said, you wouldn't by any chance know how that got there, did you? And so I confessed to him. That was the only time I had ever told anybody about that. And he was able to fix it. But we honestly, we had a good laugh. Do you know why we laughed? Because that day, I was forgiven. And when God changes your heart, and you ask him to, he'll forgive you too. Isn't that good? God is so good. Well, here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to have each of us turn to Mark chapter 12, and we're going to ask the question, what does that little story have anything to do with the next story that we're going to read from the gospel according to Mark? So turn to Mark chapter 12. I'm reading from the New International Version, and I'm going to start with verse 28. We're going to read through verse 35, and here is what Mark has to say for us today. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You were right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor, neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And you say, wow. Jesus, when, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, underline that word in your Bibles, wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Underline that as well. Not far. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. I want to share a little story with you as kind of set the stage here for what we're going to be looking into, apart from the story I share with the kids, of course. And that is, I want you to imagine that you're gaming. And as you game on your console, and, and you're going through the fiery swamps and the storms, and you're, you're hiking and climbing these mountains, encountering vicious animals, and you're able to overcome them, attacks by enemies. You are finally reaching the city, the destination, and you were told in the very beginning, you're supposed to meet a man in a subway. And so here you are, you find the subway, and as you approach, you look around and you notice that man standing a bit off, and you approach him, and you start talking with him, and he starts sharing with you, and while he's talking with you, he's gesturing with his hands like this, and you're basically carrying on conversation, and you have finished that first level. You are excited to move on to the next level, and then finally, you suddenly realize where you are standing in the subway as the two doors of the subway close and separate you from that man, and he moves on. 
and all you see is this flash, these flashing words, game over, try again. And you think, what? What did I do wrong? I had achieved the, the, the goal. I had finally overcome this level. Granted, I had lost a life with every single obstacle and challenge I encountered, but I had enough lives. I made it to the end. I met the guy, and what is going on? I don't understand why I did not win, why I failed, why I didn't make it to the next level. You see, this is kind of the same question that the teacher of the law is asking himself. Look in your text there. Jesus realizes that the man had answered wisely, but he doesn't say, you are in the kingdom of God. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What's up with that? Not far, not far does not mean in. Not far means you're still outside. He had answered correctly. You see, the real question was not so much the teacher of the law's question, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus, in fact, gives him two. The real question that Mark is wanting us to ask that's not asked is how is it that Jesus could say to this man that you are not far from the kingdom of God? You see, he'd obeyed the law. He knew the right answers. You're not far from the kingdom of God. But to answer that question, here's what we're going to do. Let's look at the progression of this story and see how this unfolds. And I think we're going to come to some interesting conclusions. We remember from earlier, as we've been going through the gospel according to Mark, we are in Passion Week. We kind of skipped ahead the last two weeks to the cross and then to the resurrection of Jesus, the end of the book. So you already know, you already know how it ends. Yep. And what we discover is that at this point, since Jesus has arrived and the very next day he cleared the temple, this has really ticked off the leaders, the religious leaders of Jesus's day, specifically the Pharisees and Sadducees. And a couple of weeks ago, we actually saw the Sadducees coming to ask Jesus questions. We actually have seen that that has been the norm almost every day, that these people keep coming and asking Jesus questions like, who gave you such authority? Prove to us that you are who you say you are. And with these questions, they're trying to stump him because not only do they want him to reveal who he is, but they want to trap him so that they would have the legal right to try him and sentence him. Because the parable that Jesus gave got them so upset, they wanted to kill him. And so here we are now, the Sadducees had just asked Jesus a question using a story about the resurrection. And you may remember that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in a spiritual body. They just believed that we are physical. And once we die, we're in the grave and that's it. There's no life after the grave. And Jesus responds, you don't know the power of God, nor do you know the scriptures. And he begins to explain to them that there is a spirit, there is a soul, <clears throat> and then when it dies, it has that opportunity to live again. The teacher of the law is not a Sadducee. All the teachers of the law are Pharisees. It's a sect that had sprung up in the last 100, 200 years. The Pharisees, same with the Sadducees. They were a little bit, Sadducees were more with regard to the priests and the temple, and the Pharisees were a reactionary group to their liberalism 
And they wanted to focus on the law and really call the people to follow after God and follow specifically the law. So they knew the law. That's why this gentleman is called an expert in the law. He comes to Jesus and he prized him with yet another question. And that question, of course, is what's the greatest commandment? <laughs> and Jesus answers with what's commonly called the Shema, which means listen or hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then Jesus goes on and he, he shares with them a second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the, the Pharisee, the teacher of the law, says that's, that's excellent. He was really expecting Jesus to not give a very orthodox answer, but Jesus gave like the most orthodox best answer that you could give. And what does the law teach you but to first love God with all your heart and then after loving God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself? The, the, the teacher of the law then says, you know what, I'm going to go one further. And he says, those two commandments are in fact more powerful and more important than all burnt offerings. In other words, the ceremonial law gives way to the moral law and specifically loving God and loving your neighbor. Jesus said he answered wisely. But then he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So why isn't he in? I'm going to suggest to you, number one, and we're going to be putting the outline of my message up here so that you can follow it. We heard that sometimes moms and dads are in and out, so they may not get the entire sermon. And when they come back in, they see the outline, they kind of know where we're at. So no, the first point is the inadequacy of this, the, the answer, the answer is the law. The answer is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. Paul summarizes an answer to this, uh, this inadequate answer of the law. And he says it this way in Galatians 3, 21 to 24. He says, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law, now listen to this. Here's the answer. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Not obey the law. Believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law. Locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. This is the significance of the entire book of Galatians that Paul's point is that the law is inadequate to bring life. 
If it can't bring life, then what is its purpose? And, And Paul tells us, the law shows us that we can't do it. The law shows us that we can't be good enough. The law shows us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and I can't. I want to challenge you. If you are not a believer today, if you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ, can you even love God with all your heart? Can you love your neighbor as yourself? And I'm going to tell you what, you will always walk away having been challenged by those two commands with guilt. You can't do it. You can't. As a matter of fact, what the law does is it actually leads us to the answer. And the answer, at least for the teacher in the law, was standing right before him. Right before him. Let me give you an illustration to flesh this out a little bit. The way our lungs work is that we breathe in the air which has oxygen, O2 in it. That oxygen, of course, goes into our uh, our our bronchial our bronchial tubes all the way down to the bronchial sacs and the bronchial sacs are coated if you will with a, a layer of capillaries blood vessels the oxygen then is transferred from the bronchial sac into those capillaries and the capillaries take that oxygen throughout your body to feed your cells that's how you live without oxygen you die But here's the problem with the virus, like the coronavirus. Eventually, when that virus gets into your lungs, it produces mucus. Yuck. That mucus begins to coat your lungs. In other words, it begins to coat those bronchial sacs, and it does not allow the oxygen to then be transferred from those bronchial sacs into the blood vessels, and your blood vessels cannot feed your cells with oxygen. And if it gets really bad, you end up suffocating. You cannot get enough oxygen. Now, you can tell a person who has this type of pneumonia, you can tell them, well, you just need to breathe deeper and you'll be okay. No, they they can't. Eventually, there's too much, your lungs are too filled with this mucus. You might be able to tell them, you know what, what you need to do is stop breathing from your shoulders, but breathe from the diaphragm. But that's not the answer either. You could say, well, just try coughing. Maybe you can cough enough of it up. Maybe if you were put on a ventilator. But see, all of these answers are inadequate because what really needs to happen, the real answer is none of this. You need to get rid of the mucus. The mucus, that coating is what is keeping the oxygen from your body. And in order to get rid of the mucus, you got to get rid of the virus. You see, the law is inadequate. It's like us trying to cough. It's like us trying to breathe deeper. It's like us trying, trying, trying harder in and of ourselves to be able to feed our bodies with oxygen and live. And the Bible says you can't do it. All of those efforts will fail because you need to get rid of the virus. You see, that virus is the sin. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you that there's an antidote. That antidote? is faith in Jesus Christ. It is what the Bible calls the gospel, the good news. And that good news is for you and me. That good news is Jesus 
standing before the expert in the law. There was a man who lived many hundreds of over 500 years ago. His name was Martin Luther. In his day, there was a strong focus on the law, and he believed, Martin Luther believed, that if he did enough good works, maybe, just maybe God would allow him to get out of purgatory, that place of punishment that they believed in, early enough, and he would eventually be able to go to heaven. There was a place in Rome that he visited called the Scala or Scala Sancta. These were 28 marble steps that were supposedly brought from Jerusalem, and they had led up to Pilate's Praetorium, his judgment hall, where Jesus was tried and declared guilty, and he was to be crucified. Apparently, as legend has it, St. Helena had those 28 steps taken to Rome along with some dirt from Calvary and had those steps placed next to a church. Martin Luther visited these steps and the the purpose was to alleviate his guilt and if he was able to say the Lord's Prayer with each step and then kiss that step and make it to the top. So 28 Our Fathers and 28 kisses of the stones, the steps, he would be able to be relieved of his guilt and his ultimate goal is he wanted to see his grandfather set free from purgatory. Now, he says that while he was ascending these stairs, that a voice spoke these words to his heart as the guilt in his heart only began to increase more and more. And that voice said this, the just shall live by faith. And that brought such a conviction, and it, it, it honestly, it brought so much toil that the just shall live by faith, not by ascending these stairs, not by the law, not trying to love God with all of your heart, because Martin Luther confessed he couldn't, he always failed. Loving your neighbor is yourself, he always failed. The law could never impart life to him. Guilt always remained because he could never fulfill the law perfectly. But when he grasped that principle in which Jesus and the authors of the New Testament called the gospel, and he, he realized it is by faith in Jesus Christ that the law simply brought him to that place of utter inadequacy to save himself. He needed someone else, and that someone else is that Jesus that Mark is telling us about. That Jesus would be able, if you were to say to that expert in the law, you know what? Just give me a few more days. Let me unfold for you this amazing story of God's grace through the cross and the resurrection. You're not far. You're not far. Now, we don't know if this man ever eventually Surrendered his heart to Christ. We don't know. I would like to think that he did. He was so close. But the law has no power to rescue us. 
all the good works that you do, no power to rescue you. When I was a boy, before I gave my heart to Christ, I remember this guilt that I wrestled with on a regular basis. And I would, I, I, I was caught up in trying to do the right things perfectly. And I was actually caught up in a lot of superstition as well, like, don't step on a crack or you'll break your mother's back. That, have you ever heard that one before? Totally superstitious. Some, you know, salt over the shoulder or a black cat or under a ladder, and it's like, what? These are all superstitions. But we can get caught up in these. Actually, in many religions, those religions are completely caught up in superstitions. But the thing about Christianity is that those superstitions are simply us adding to the Word of God. They're not found anywhere in the Bible. You see, superstitions are us trying to bridge that gap to remove the guilt. We can never do it. And so I remember so many times on my way to school, I would watch where I would walk, especially if I had a track meet because I ran or a wrestling meet because I, I wrestled in those days. And I would make sure that I was walking to school, that I did it just right. And of course, I was wearing my lucky socks, right? But I, I was so superstitious. I was, I was hoping that by doing these things, maybe God would bless me in my race or my wrestling match or in, in just in my life in general. And they all failed. They were all inadequate because the law can never save me. The law can never impart life. Martin Luther discovered this. And as a result, he was born again. Something changed in his life. Jesus said the just shall live by faith, that the law brings us to him and to the cross and to the resurrection and the fact that the cross pays for that sin. It is the, 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 the issue for the one with the uh, uh, pneumonia is not his inability to breathe and maybe he should breathe deeper, but the real issue is the mucus. It's the virus and that needs to be gotten rid of. You see, sin is the issue. Sin needs to be gotten rid of, and that's why Christ died on the cross as a ransom payment. And that's what Mark tells us just a few chapters earlier. Jesus is telling them, guys, I am the ransom payment. The Son of Man didn't come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom payment for you, for your sins, to, to be able to open the door. The law and its inadequacy brings you to this point in which you realize in and of yourselves you cannot be saved and that only God can do it. And he provided that provision through the cross and then through the resurrection. This is the gospel. Eventually, in our gaming illustration, the man comes to the subway, and now the second time through, he realizes, I need to get on the subway. So he's talking with this fellow who's gesturing with his hands and holding a hand out and talking, and the, as you're gaming, you immediately try to get into that subway car. But, but you can't. Something is holding you back, and you can't get in. And then you realize that the man standing there wasn't gesturing with his hands as he was talking. He was offering you, come in, come in. And then he held his hand out. So now you take his hand, and he pulls you in. Off to the next level. You see, Jesus offers us 
even as he is in essence offering, look, do you not see? You just said that bird offerings are inadequate. You see, the bird offerings in the Old Testament, they were amazing pictures of what was yet to come. They were shadows of Jesus dying on the cross, paying the penalty for my sins, your sins. You see, they were foreshadows of what was to come. Christ was the answer. Christ, if you will, the cross what was, is what was casting that shadow of animal sacrifice in the Old Covenant that we read about. And the man was so close. It's, you know, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbors. These commands are greater than all bird offerings. But you see the ultimate fulfillment that was going to happen in the, just the next two chapters is Jesus' death on the cross. That is the answer. That is the ultimate sacrifice. That then, as we look to the cross, I no longer am bound by the law that cannot give me life. I am now drawn with extended hand to the cross. Come, follow me. Today, Jesus is extending his hand to you. Come, follow me. Jesus promises life. In a story, John tells us, in chapter 3 of his gospel, Nicodemus, another teacher of the law, a Pharisee, an elderly gentleman, wise, he comes to Jesus at night and he asks him, he said, he's beginning to tell Jesus, you know, about your, no one can do the miracles that you do. Obviously, I, I want to hear from you what you have to say. And Jesus kind of cuts him short rather abruptly. And he looks at him and he says, Nicodemus, Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then later, he says, as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up, so that whoever looks to him takes his hand, if you will, will not perish. As the people of Israel, wandering in the wilderness, were complaining about the manna and the quail and God's amazing grace and abundant provision, and in their complaining, God brought punishment, and there were poisonous snakes that were biting them. Moses lifted up that bronze snake. He just looked at this. That's all you have to look to the bronze snake, guys, and you will live. And it forced them to take their eyes off of their present circumstances and their pain and even death and focus on what God told them to focus on. And Jesus then is saying to Nicodemus, I am the one that's going to be lifted. The son of man, he is going to be lifted up. And anyone that looks to him will not perish. And he goes on to say, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, something the law could never do. The law could only reveal my sin and show me just how far I fall short of what God is expecting of me. And it brings me to this place of utter inadequacy, of utter inability to save myself and look to him as Jesus told Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, so I'm going to be lifted up. Nicodemus, look to me. 
faith. Faith is what changes the heart. You can kind of look at it this way. When I was a, a boy, when you crossed your uh, wow, when you crossed your fingers like this, that meant one of two things. Either if you would stick it behind your back, it would somehow give you this magical license to lie, right? And not get in trouble. Wow. No, I didn't take your piece of pie. Or it meant, I really hope that I'm going to get what I'm wanting. And we would cross our fingers. You know what? As we come to this issue of entering the kingdom of God, instead of crossing our fingers, I really hope so. I really hope that I'm good enough. I really hope that God likes me and he's going to be able to look past all the sins because look at all of the good things that I've done. Look at my righteousness, God. But the sin remains. You know what? We don't need to cross our fingers. We can hope in the, in the answer that is in Christ alone. Christ Jesus. He is the answer. He is the one that changes my heart. And that's the answer. That's what God was looking for in this man. Now, the reason why we know this is because Matthew shares the story just a little differently. He doesn't focus on the man's answer to Jesus when Jesus gives the two commands, as Mark does. Instead, here's what, here's what Matthew, chapter 22, verse 35 says. It says that the man came to Jesus to test him. The reason why he wanted to test Jesus is because his heart said Jesus was a fake and a fraud. His heart said that Jesus was not the Messiah. I mean, Jesus, in his view, had broken the Sabbath. He had healed, he had healed on the day set apart to not work. That Jesus was actually sharing the, these things like that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. Only God is the Lord of the Sabbath. That he could forgive sin. And so he healed the paralytic. You remember that story? Only God can forgive sin. And so this man and so many of the Pharisees, questions about who Jesus, even Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night, questions, who are you? But this man comes to Jesus, testing him, just like all the others have. He knew the right answers, but his heart remained unchanged. You know, when I was that little boy, throwing my little temper tantrum, kicking the ceiling, afterwards, as I lay there, terrified that my dad would come home and find out and then I would get a licking, as my mom would say. I can remember God changing my heart. And I truly repented of this. And it was at that point, no excuses, that I got down out of my bed and I went to my mom and I said, Mom, I'm so sorry for being so disrespectful to you. Could you forgive me? And she said yes. And without another word, I went back to my room and the reason why, that day anyway, she chose not to tell my dad, so I got a licking, is because she had forgiven me, and she chose to forget it. 
You know, when I was standing with my dad in that room with the bunk beds gone and he's looking up at the ceiling and I tell him what happens, we started laughing because we both knew that I had been forgiven that day and that it was not held against me. I want to ask you a question. We're going to be having communion here in just a minute. Communion is a celebration of what Christ has done for us on the cross. You see, Jesus' blood was shed for us to wash our sins away. He paid the price. He is the bread of life that was broken for us on the cross. You see, when we trust in him, he imparts that life to us. Remember, John told Nicodemus, whoever believes in me will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Jesus is this bread of life come down from heaven, he tells us in John 6. And he gives that life to whoever comes to him, whoever takes his hand and he pulls in and rescues. To any who would trust in him for salvation, to be able to wash away those sins. Why? Because the law is inadequate. It can never save us. No law was given that could impart life. Only Jesus can. And so I want to challenge you, if you have never trusted in Jesus, today, let him rescue you. He's holding out his hand. Take hold of that hand. Let him pull you in. You know what? This truth is not just for those who are coming to Christ for the first time. If we were to extend our illustration, it would be like going to the next level of that game. And and instead of dying at every single twist and turn and adventure, and hopefully you have enough lives because you're following this man, he guides you safely. Doesn't mean that those challenges are no longer challenges. Doesn't mean that they're not hard. They're always hard, but he shows you the way. You see, for you as a Christian, Jesus, as you take his hand, he leads you and he shows you that he doesn't just impart life to you today, but every day and hope and strength for every day. Instead of trusting that maybe you're good enough, his grace extends to you every day, life every day. As he extends that hand, even to you today as a Christian, he invites you on this journey to walk with him by faith. Why? Because the just will live by faith and no other way. He empowers us now to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because he is the ultimate answer to our questions. Can we pray? Father, I ask you, as Jesus has extended a challenge to us today, as Jesus has, in many ways, opened our eyes to the hope that he extends to us, God, I pray that if anyone today, this morning, has not trusted in Christ, would you prompt his heart and would you pull him in and change that heart and wash away their sin and heal the brokenness in their heart. God, this, you are so good. You are so full of mercy and grace. 